The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Hey Genesis, how are you? Good to have you guys here. How many people's days were thoroughly messed up because we lost an hour? Anyone? All right. Well, apparently you all knew it was coming and and I didn't until 3 a.m. quickly turned into like 4 a.m. Hey, we're going to, wanted to share something with you that uh, we're going to be doing different uh, at Genesis over the next few weeks. If you're here for the very, very first time, you won't know the difference. So welcome to you. Thanks for coming. Um, One of the things you, if you've been coming to Genesis for a while, our format uh, typically is uh, we do a lot of worship, meaning we do a lot of singing. Uh, We love God here, and we like to make a big deal about God, and one of the ways we make a big deal about God is singing songs to Him. So uh, typically, we spend a good 30 to 45 minutes uh, uh, engaging uh, God in worship uh, through song. One of the things that we've noticed at... uh, it's 6.15 now. We've been having kind of a rolling start at Genesis. Technically, the books say we're supposed to start at 6. It's like 6.03, 6.04, 6.05. And we've kind of accustomed you guys to showing up at like 6.06, 6.09, 6.15, sometimes even a little bit later. And I have a feeling, outside of the snow that's coming tomorrow, by the way, if you didn't know that, the nicer the weather gets, the starts will be like 6.20, 6.25. And, um, so what we're going to be doing a different, so to speak, is flip-flopping how we do service. And there's actually, uh, not just because of time and trying to get people here, uh, but there's theologically something to be said about uh, spending the first half of our service uh, taking a look at Scripture and what God has to say to us. Uh, God engages us through the preaching proclamation of his word. And then what we do in worship is respond to God's, what God has spoken, what God has revealed uh, to us. And so over the next few weeks, I just want you to know we're going to be jumping right into, we'll usually do a song or so uh, to get us gathered and going. Uh, and then we're going to jump right into preaching. If you're, again, new to Genesis over the past few weeks, we do two things or three things here each week. We, uh, we worship because we love God. We, uh, we preach because we love Jesus, and uh, we celebrate communion every single week uh, because we want to celebrate the gospel, the good news that we can be uh, a people that has a relationship with God because of Jesus. So those are the three things uh, that we do. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, get yourself here as best you can on time. Uh, I'd even challenge you to get here early. Um, put it this way. If there was a movie start time at like 7 o'clock, I guarantee most of us would be there at 6.55 because you don't want to miss something that is crucial to the entire film. And it's called previews. Even though they don't have anything to do with the film, it it gets you in the mindset to you're about to be engaged with Hollywood's finest. So if we can get to movies on time, I want to challenge us as a community to get to, uh, we only get to worship and gather as a community like this uh, once a week. So I want to encourage us, get here uh, even before 6 o'clock. We'll do a few songs. We're going to take a look at God's scriptures and uh, then finish our service uh, by responding to God in song. Um, Something that we have been talking about a lot recently, uh, Genesis is now uh, a little over two years old. And uh, for about the past year or so, we've been intentionally asking the question, God, what is... 
what is your purpose? What is your plan? Where are you going with Genesis? And um, uh, part, uh, Genesis is part of uh, a church that you guys are sitting in called Hope Christian Church. We are a ministry of Hope Christian Church. And we've been asking God over the past year or so, God, is it time for Genesis to launch out and to establish itself as a brand new church in a culture uh, here in New England that is in desperate need of churches that are going to love Jesus and love people? And uh, so we have been working with Hope Christian Church, very specifically the elders, uh, over the past nine months, uh, been working with the elder team to, um, is this something that Hope Christian Church would even be interested in doing in church planting, and especially church planting something that looks like this. And if you've never been to church, then this might seem normal to you, but most churches don't operate or look kind of like Genesis does. And so first three months I spent working with the elders of this is Genesis, this is our heartbeat, this is our ethos, this is our mission, our vision, this is our passion, this is our call. And they said, yeah, we would love to uh, support a church like Genesis. Let's go to the next step, which is let's assemble some people, a task force that would intentionally look at where could Genesis potentially go? Uh, would there be people in Genesis who want to go? What are some of the maybe financial implications and things like that? So over the past six months, uh, a team of uh, myself and eight other people, some from Genesis, some from Hope, uh, have been working pretty diligently and faithfully for six months seeking the Lord as, if we go, where are we going to go? What's the needs going to be there and, and that kind of thing? Um, and February 1st, uh, the task force finished its uh, six months or so of um, researching and studying and praying and sitting with God on uh, his intentions with uh, this community. We presented that report to the elders. Uh, over the past, um, I don't know, five, six weeks, uh, the elders and myself uh, have been uh, praying. We've been meeting. We've been getting together. And uh, tonight I wanted to share with you um, not necessarily a decision, but just the process. And uh, the process being uh, we're still in a, a mode of sitting with the Lord and asking some pretty tough questions. Because just so you know, church planting is a big deal. It's not like it's, let's just go do this tomorrow, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, eh, we tried. It's a really big deal for Genesis, and it's a really big deal for uh, Hope Church as well, because we are desirous to have Hope Church support and plant us as a church. Um, and so the decision is, God is absolutely in the decision, but I think something that myself, the elders, the task force have been also sitting with is God is also in the process. And so tonight, I just wanted to share with you, we are still in process. I would love to say we're going to have a decision by, I don't know, two weeks from now or uh, a month from now. I honestly don't know. Uh, I wanted to invite my good friend uh, Ian Whitfield. He is an elder here at uh, Hope Christian Church. Uh, he has been an elder for the better part of, um, I don't know, three decades, something like that. Um, <laughs> I make good friends with the elders with my little jokes there. No, Ian has been faithfully serving uh, the church here for the better part of about 10 years, right? So uh, Ian has, uh, most of you guys uh, hopefully will at least recognize Ian and know him. He's faithfully here every single week uh, when he's in town, uh, worshiping with us as a community. And uh, Ian uh, has been, uh, he wasn't on the task force, but uh, as a good friend and just also as a faithful elder has been uh, praying like crazy of, God, we want to know what your will is and uh, what your desire is for Hope Church and also for uh, Genesis. So, Ian, with that long intro, uh, I wanted you just to give voice to the elders of where we are in the process and just some things you see the Lord doing. Don't you love the word elder? 
Makes me look like a really old man. I wonder what I do in meetings with the other elders. I just want you to know Michael is an elder. So uh, we're not ancient, although some of us look ancient and some of us feel ancient. But uh, um, as Michael and I talked a little bit about tonight, um, it's March the 8th. And if you had asked me a few weeks ago and, and maybe a few months ago, uh, whether on, on or around March the 8th we'd, we'd be ready to make a decision and to make an announcement, I would have assumed that that might have been the case. And the task force was excellent in its diligence and in its timing, and it uh, produced a, a really good report, which I hope most of you had a chance to read. <clears throat> and since then, we've been meeting, as Michael has said, and, uh, and uh, as we've met, it's, uh, it's become clear that there are more issues at stake than we had first thought about, really in relation to how the how the relationship works between hope and Genesis going forward, what it really means to be a planting church, what that means for today, what that means for tomorrow, what that means for the future. And, uh, and we've run into a roadblock of timing, which has caused us to, to make a, a, an announcement both this morning and this evening uh, along the lines of what Michael has said, is that um, we've run into a roadblock whereby we cannot keep meeting for two or three weeks, because just because of un, uh, unresolvable conflicts in schedule, people literally out of town, people get, people whose daughters are getting married, and um, yeah, just it's just impossible to keep meeting the way we have been meeting. And so, in light of that, we stepped back and said, I think it's appropriate for us to communicate to the Hope Morning Congregation and to you all uh, that we need to take a little break, and we had hoped to be able to bring that decision to a final conclusion last weekend. Uh, but we are not able to. You know, we don't operate on the basis of unanimity. We operate on the basis of something called consensus. And consensus can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. It could mean something as simple as a simple majority. There are seven elders, so four elders can carry the day and three can be outvoted. But for almost all matters that we contend with, uh, that would not be sufficient, a simple majority. Um, and we don't need unanimity, although it's always a blessing if we get it. And uh, over the course of the last weekend in particular, it became clear to me that we did not have an appropriate sense of consensus. And we would need more time for that, to decide exactly how to do uh, what God is telling us to do and to be able to declare with some clarity and I hope some authority uh, what God is telling us to do. So um, I think I'm representative tonight of the elder team just to say that um, this is an important issue for us. Uh, as a church, and if it's important to us, it's even more important to you, and we're not uh, unaware of that. And so, at least my heart wants to represent the elder team to tell you that we love you and that we care about you, and it's we're not being foolish or uh, lazy or ungodly in the way that we're moving forward. We are doing so with all appropriateness in my judgment, <clears throat> and we realize this is an important decision. And while it would be really good to come at a quick one, uh, what's more important is what? To come to the right one. And so would you just um, stay with us, keep on your knees in prayer, and help us as we think through uh, over the next few weeks. We'll take a, a couple of weeks, complete hiatus. We'll be praying on our own. We'll, never, we'll not be able to get together. And would you pray that God would use that time to clarify issues that we have on the table and to bring us uh, a sense of oneness when we gather again in a couple of weeks' time? So... Um, we are with you, and we are for you, and uh, we want very much to hear God's voice in this. So. Thanks, Ian. Um, as I, I shared earlier, uh, like this is hard for me because I'm a guy who 
uh, gets uh, ideas in his head and wants to run with them before those ideas are even complete and well thought out. So uh, when I sat with the elders about uh, nine months ago, a year ago, and said, hey, let's start thinking about uh, taking Genesis as a church plant, and uh, we came up with this nine months. Nine months seemed like 900 years uh, the way I typically operate, but uh, I'm in a good place. Uh, the nine months has been a good uh, process, and uh, whether we have two more weeks or another month or even longer uh, after that, uh, as Ian said, I just echo into that, this is too big not to get right. Uh, and so if that means sitting with the Lord for this, uh, on this, or with, with the Lord on this issue uh, for another few weeks, uh, then it is well worth it. Uh, one of the things that you guys as a community, we as a community have done really well is uh, over the past six months, we've gathered once a month. We've declared uh, a day to be a day of fast and a day uh, where we gather as a community to pray. And we're doing that again this Friday night. It's called The Well. And uh, you guys have showed up in, uh, in great numbers. Uh, we typically have about 85 to 90 people in a Sunday gathering. And there's roughly been 35, 40 people who have been coming out to uh, The Well, fasting and praying. So we're going to do that again this coming Friday night at 8 o'clock. And uh, please continue to pray. Pray not only for the elders of Hope Church, and uh, some wisdom and, and discernment there. But also, this has impacts on uh, impact on you as well. And it's, you're praying, God, are you calling me to be part of establishing a brand new church in this New England culture, uh, which it, it's a big deal. So uh, I've invited uh, my friend John Bandai. Uh, I wanted him to come up. Uh, so John, come on up. I'm going to ask him to pray for uh, the elders and pray for Genesis. And uh, uh, so join John as we pray. Lord, thank you for the, this community and uh, just the ability to meet here on Sunday nights. And uh, we just give you praise and thanks just for all that you're doing in uh, both Genesis and in Hope. And uh, that's certainly not a given, Lord. And so we just want to take a minute and thank you and praise you for that. And I just want to uh, lift up a prayer of wisdom, um, both for the Genesis community and for Hope and for the elders. Uh, thank you, Lord, that the elders are so faithfully seeking after you and seeking your will in all of this, Lord, and waiting on you and waiting for your timing. And over the next couple of weeks, as they take a break, I just pray your protection over them. I pray your grace in their lives and that they would just clearly hear from you on this and that they would be able to reach that consensus that they're looking for. And I just pray for the, uh, the people of Genesis here and um, just pray that you'd be at work in all of our lives here. Um, give us a desire to seek your will in this, Lord, and, and to be a part of this. And just in closing, I want to pray for the city of Boston. And, um, Lord, I just know that you want your grace um, to be brought to this city and uh, for your kingdom to be expanded here, Lord. And I pray that you would just give us the blessing of, of being a part of that and of finding your will in that. And, Lord, just lift up the rest of the service to you. Uh, please be with us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Thank you, Ian. You guys can clap for Ian. He likes applause. Well, we are in the midst of, um, this is track number 14. Uh, I don't know if anyone's actually been paying attention to why we're calling it like track one, track two, track, now we're at track 14. I don't know if anyone has been paying attention to that, but the reason we're doing that is because at the end of this series, uh, you guys are going to be given a really cool CD of uh, some music uh, that uh, we're working on putting together and uh, some of the messages as well. So there's a reason we're calling this not just like Sermon 1, Sermon 2. We're a bit more creative than that. We call it Track 1, Track 2, Track 3. Uh, tonight we are in uh, Mark chapter 6, 
This is uh, track number 14. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to uh, Mark chapter 6. As you guys are uh, flipping there, uh, I don't know if you have been paying attention or reading in the Genesis Weekly. Sign up for that either at the back uh, tonight or online. But uh, we have uh, Easter coming up, and uh, one of the things that uh, we've been doing the last couple Easter's, as well as in the summer, is our Get Drenched services. Uh, and Get Drenched is just our way of saying it's our baptism service. Uh, as of right now, I know we have about four or five people who are going to be getting baptized, who have made decisions uh, to trust and to follow Jesus, and they want to publicly declare uh, that they love Jesus, and they want you, friends, family to know. And uh, that's no greater time to do that than on Easter. So I want to put that on your radar. If you have never been baptized and maybe you made a decision uh, for Jesus years ago and have not gotten drenched, uh, maybe you've made a decision as of just recently in the past few weeks, if you've not gotten uh, baptized, gotten drenched, uh, Easter, I can't think of a better time uh, to declare your love, uh, your affection, your faith, your trust uh, and relationship uh, with Jesus. So uh, that's coming up on Sunday, April 12th, so have that on your radar is uh, our next Get Drenched service. We've been talking a lot about Jesus. In fact, so much so, we entitled the entire series called Jesus. So let me start with a question for you, and the question would be this. How familiar, as you sit here tonight, how familiar are you with Jesus? Your, your level of just knowledge, relation, as you sit here tonight, how familiar are you with the person of Jesus? Maybe some of you guys grew up in uh, the church, you've heard stories uh, about him, maybe stories about what he did, what he said, what he accomplished. Um, maybe some of you are brand new to Jesus and brand new to Christianity, and you've got some of the basics down, you've understood things about Easter and Christmas and the baby in a manger and Jesus on a cross and the uh, resurrection. Uh, but maybe you're still reading through gospel stories, and you're like, oh my goodness, did, I didn't know he did that. Like, did he really say that? Um, is that your knowledge, so to speak, of what you know about Jesus? Or maybe you're absolutely brand new and not even a Christian yet. You haven't made a decision uh, to be in relationship with God and to follow and trust uh, Jesus. And maybe you're a bit skeptical. Maybe there's some doubts. Maybe... Uh, even a bit cynical, like, oh, I don't know, Jesus was probably like a tree-hugging yuppie and said some good things, but I'm not sure I really buy into this whole Jesus, Son of God, he was Christ, anointed one, Savior, Messiah. So as you sit here tonight, I repeat the question, how familiar are you uh, with Jesus? We all have an opinion of him, and is what you know of Jesus tonight, is it making a difference in how you live? As you like walk through Monday and Tuesday and, and work and maybe school and relationships and maybe marriage, like how much of what you actually know about Jesus is showing up in your day-to-day -day life? Like how much of a difference is it actually making? So as you think about your understanding of Jesus, maybe your relationship with Jesus, or maybe a non-relationship with Jesus that you're more of the the cynic, and just kind of skeptical about things. How much is your familiarity with Jesus actually making a difference in your daily life? There's a, um, a proverb that uh, you've probably heard. It says, familiarity breeds contempt. 
we become so familiar with something or maybe someone that we actually can grow to dislike it, disdain them, or the situation maybe. Familiarity breeds contempt. I'm sure most of us have heard of that proverb, that phrase. Now, for you, familiarity might not breed contempt. It might actually just breed, I don't know, indifference where you become so familiar with something that you actually lose the joy, the awe, the wonder, the amazement of that something or that someone. Um, Married people. You get to know that person so well that you become so familiar with them that you start to look like them and finish their sentences. And what happens for a lot of them is they get to the end of discovering that person and they don't like them anymore. How many marriages end because I just, I don't love you anymore. I'm not in love with you anymore. And so they get divorced. Familiarity breeds contempt in marriage. How about some of you in the workplace? You become so familiar with your work and what you do and don't do and just the routine that it's so boring. Every day it's the same thing. And rather than search for new jobs, you just, you're in need of a paycheck, but you're so familiar with this job, but your familiarity with the job is not creating or stirring this excitement and this passion to, to go for new things and to create new things and such. Happens with people who are, uh, have addictions to drugs. Starts with alcohol. Become so familiar with alcohol, it doesn't give you the same kick as it used to. So you try some new things. You try some pills. You try some dope. Try some cocaine. Start shooting things in your body. If that doesn't work, then you go to crystal meth. All because you become so familiar with this one thing and, and how it makes you feel that it doesn't make you feel that great anymore, so you've got to try something different. What happens, this is a, a big question, what happens when familiarity breeds contempt spiritually? Where you become so familiar with Jesus, so familiar with God, that you've absolutely lost the wonder and the awe and the amazement and the worship and even just a sense of mission. What happens when familiarity breeds contempt actually starts to creep into your relationship with God? Like, what happens when phrases like, Jesus loves you, is like, yeah, that's cool. That's just cool? Like, what happens when phrases like, Jesus has redeemed you, oh, that's, that's a good, I think that's a good thing. Jesus forgives you, yeah, I need that. Like when these phrases that should just shock us to wonder and awe and amazement, it's like, ah, I've heard that before. I need something new because the fact that God loves me somehow has grown too familiar. I'm just, it doesn't, it's not doing it for me anymore. This guy has become ridiculously famous in the past few weeks. He was a little bit famous before, but his video on Facebook, and now it's got like 10 million hits on YouTube, the comedian Louis C.K., who's uh, his little bit on uh, Conan a couple weeks back or a couple months ago, his thing was, everything is so amazing right now, but nobody's happy. And he's much more of a comedian, and so he just walks through this list of everything that we should just be screaming, we are so, we have so much, we are so blessed. But yet everyone 
there's no one who's happy. Has anyone seen this video of what I'm talking about? Yes. That one phrase, that one tagline that he puts in there is everything is so amazing, but yet no one is happy. How many of us, I, I think about the parallels here of when you think about just life with God, it should be so amazing, but yet so many people would describe their life as just discontent, stressed, worried, anxious, sad. Like how is it possible we could have this amazing God who's done these amazing things in our life? He sent his son to redeem us, to forgive us, to, to give us new life, to save us from hell. Like how is it possible we could ever get to the point where ah, it's just not so amazing anymore? Like, is that Jesus or is that us? Like, what happens when familiarity breeds contempt creeps into your life, your spiritual life? Now, even those, those who don't have faith, meaning they don't have, uh, they haven't made a decision to believe. They haven't made a decision to believe in Jesus. They can grow so familiar with what they don't believe, that the chance of actually believing something new about Jesus gets more and more difficult as you get older and older and older. So even what you don't believe can become so disconcerting that you continue just on that, that path. Well, I'm repeating the question again. Is what you know about Jesus, is it really making a difference in how you live, how you interact how you engage the world around you. Is what you know of Jesus, is it really making a difference? My hope for us tonight uh, was going to be twofold, but it's already 640. I'm not sure how this happens to me every week. So now I'm changing. It's going to be onefold. So I only have one thing I really want for you tonight. So good news for you, you're not going to get the whole thing. The one thing is this, is that my hope and my heart and what the text is going to... Uh, I hope scream out to us uh, tonight is that your familiarity with Jesus would lead you to and me to a faith that would amaze him. That what you know of Jesus would actually lead you to a faith that Jesus would look at this faith and say, absolutely amazing. And to those who are here who have not begun that relationship, have not said, I have faith in Jesus, my hope and my heart for you tonight is that you would see that he alone is worthy of your faith. Because there's a lot of things that will compete for your faith, for your trust, your affection, your worship. But if you have not made that decision, my heart for you tonight, my hope for you tonight is that, is that you would place your faith in an amazing God in an amazing Jesus that would have an impact on how you live. Let me uh, pray for those things, and we'll jump into Mark 6. God, thanks for tonight. Um, our time is now uh, a little short, so God, I pray that as we walk through uh, these few verses tonight, God, your voice would be so loud. God, I pray that you would rescue us from just growing so familiar with you that it actually breeds contempt. God, I pray that that one thing, God, that those who are familiar with you now have made a decision for you now, Jesus, 
that what we know of you in this place tonight would lead us to a place of faith that Jesus would say, absolutely amazing. God, for those who have not made a decision of faith and trust in Jesus, God, would you do something tonight, do a miracle in people's hearts that they would see that Jesus is absolutely worthy of faith. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Mark 6, 1 says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied, accompanied by his disciples. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. Jesus is like traveling the Galilean countryside. He's doing crazy things. He's teaching and people are like, wow, this is amazing teaching. Never heard anything like this. He's healing people, like people who couldn't see are now seeing. People who couldn't walk are walking. People who had died are being raised back to life. Jesus is doing these amazing things, saying these amazing uh, things. Miracles are happening everywhere he goes. So this is what Jesus has been doing up until this point, casting out demons. And he returns home, back to the place where he spent the first 30 years of his life. One would think that people are going to be like, oh my goodness, Jesus is coming back into town. Kind of like when that girl whose name I just totally blanked on, she was the Olympic gymnast who lives in this town in Winchester. That's why I didn't remember it. This, no one knew this girl before she went to the Olympics, but as soon as she came back home, there was like signs all over Winchester like, this girl is coming home. You would think that would happen for Jesus. People are so excited that Jesus is coming back home. That's not actually the reception that Jesus receives. I think of it, when you guys, if you haven't been home in a while, like I haven't been to my parents' home in North Carolina in, I don't know, five or six years, a long time. I haven't been there. What is it like for you who, your parents, you didn't grow up here, but your home, your family, brothers, sisters, what is it like for you when you go home? Is it like, oh, I'm so excited, I can't wait to go home, or is there a reason you haven't been home in like three or four or five years? Because it's the most stressful thing in your life. There's just fighting and there's division. And you're like, that's why I live here. Okay, this is for Jesus. This was a tough thing for him going back home. And I say it's a tough thing because his mom, Mary, his brother, brothers and sisters are already thinking Jesus is insane. When Jesus was teaching, performing miracles, Mark chapter 3 says this, verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. This is his family saying, our brother has lost it. He has gone crazy. We need to go put a leash on him and drag him back home. So it's hard enough being criticized by just the public, but when your family comes after you and thinks you're nuts and lost it, that's a totally different type of pain. And this is Jesus is going home into this environment. Mark 6, verse 2. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him, they were amazed. As was his custom, Jesus, on Sabbath, meaning Saturday, he would go to the synagogue and he would teach. And just like was routine, anytime Jesus was teaching, people were like, this is is amazing. The words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth, the things that he was saying, was leaving people in just awe. Oh, we've never heard anything like this. Our teachers are so boring and bland. They don't have any power or authority, but when Jesus speaks, 
Our minds, our hearts are being opened up in ways we never have experienced. So these people hear Jesus, and it says, many who heard him were amazed. What's the last thing that amazed you? Think about that for a minute. What is the, I mean, like the most recent, not like a year ago amazed you. Like, what is the most recent thing that absolutely you saw it, you heard it, and you're like, that is the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen. I would love to tell you that mine was some spiritual moment when I was reading the Old Testament book of Leviticus, and it was like, wow, another sacrifice, that's amazing. More blood, oh my goodness. My most amazing thing, most recent, happened last night around probably 11.15, UFC 96 was on. This guy in the ring was absolutely amazing. I would love to have something more spiritual to tell you than that, but I don't. That was the most amazing thing I've seen in the last 24 hours. What is the most amazing thing that you've seen or heard? And let me ask, is what you saw, is what you heard, did it make any difference in your life? Did it inspire you to do something different? What I saw last night did not inspire me to go get in the octagon with these guys. I appreciate their art, but I'll appreciate it from a distance. I'm asking this question because you would think that these people who are listening to Jesus and have this so amazing of what he said, it would lead them to this great faith, but it doesn't. For the people of Nazareth, their amazement in Jesus' teaching, it didn't lead to faith, but to really just question Jesus. Mark 6, verse 3. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas? That's not Judas Iscariot. Judas is actually Jude. And Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they go really quickly from amazement, and it says at the end of verse 3, and they took offense at him. They go from amazement now to asking Jesus a series of questions. Where did this man get these things? Because the guy we knew, he didn't have it. Where did Jesus get these things? Second question, what's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Okay, that's slam number one. That's intended in the question is to slam Jesus by, isn't this just a carpenter? By the way, defining biblical wisdom, I wanted you to catch this. Where did he get this wisdom? This is not that he had like a high IQ or he was saying these intellectually stimulating things. Biblical wisdom is defined by a man or a woman who knows the purposes of God. So when John Bandai here earlier tonight is praying for wisdom for us, for the elders, what he's praying for is that we would know, we would have the, the knowledge of the purpose of God. So they're asking, how did he get the knowledge of the purpose of God? He's just a carpenter. Tecton, this is the word that is used for carpenter. And it's not just a guy who like puts things like this together. The, the word here, carpenter, tecton, is someone who actually is a worker of hard materials, meaning wood, metal, or stone. Meaning Jesus was a tough guy. He wasn't like this long robe, long hair, 
white, blue-eyed, had a flower behind one ear. This guy was hardcore. I'm speaking of Jesus. He was a man who worked with wood, with stone, and with metal. His hands were well-worn, and he's, he had a big upper body because of how hard he worked as a tecton. But this was not like a culturally stimulating, like, oh, if I could grow up to be a tecton, that would be awesome. This was not something most men would desire to be. So this is slam number one. Isn't he just a carpenter? Question three, isn't this Mary's son? Okay, now they're bringing out the mother jokes. This is slam number two. In this day, this culture, you would never refer to a man as, isn't this person this mother's son? No, it was, isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't he the son of this man here? And so when these people in Nazareth are referring to asking Jesus this question, or asking the question, isn't this Mary's son? You Meaning, for the past 30 years, she has lived under the shadow or the banner of illegitimate child, crazy woman who said she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She didn't have sex, but she's pregnant. Like the town was whispering, she's a whack job. For 30 years, this was her reputation. And so when they're asking, but isn't this the illegitimate child, the son of Mary? That's there a slam. So it's most likely, some would say that they're referring to Mary because Joseph might be dead. That might be true. Joseph might be dead, but you still refer to, isn't this the son of this man here? So this is really a jab at Jesus and his heritage, his family line. Goes on to mention, uh, interesting, uh, Jesus has some brothers, has some sisters. There was thoughts in certain traditions that says, Mary had Jesus, no more kids after that. Mark makes very clear that Mary had plenty of children after Jesus. And what's really interesting is that this family did not start really well and be like, oh, Jesus, he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer. They thought he was crazy. Just two, two chapters earlier, they're coming after him to try and get control of him because he's lost his mind. But two of his brothers, being James and Jude, meaning Judas, actually were leaders in the church. There's a book called James, written by his brother. There's a book called Jude, written by his brother. I point this out because they didn't start so well. They had a thought that Jesus was out of his mind, totally lost it. But even his family, at the end, came to the conclusion, the right conclusion, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. The more questions they asked, the harder their hearts grew towards Jesus. So hard, in fact, that they became offended by the person of Jesus. Not just what he was teaching, but they became offended at him, his person. Scandalized. This is actually the word we get the scandalizo is the word we get to scandalize. And what it actually means is just this. Uh, literally, to be caused to stumble, to be repelled at him. My question is, why were they so scandalized by Jesus? What was it about Jesus that they were so offended caused them to stumble? Well, they thought they knew him. 
They thought they knew him. And this was our neighbor. We grew up with this kid. We saw him when he was 10. We saw him when he was 15. We saw him when he was 25. We thought we knew this person. They were so scandalized by Jesus, by what he was doing, what he was saying, the powers, the miracles, the commotion that he was causing. And for these people in his own hometown, they were so scandalized because we thought we knew this person. How could he live amongst us for 30 some odd years and we completely miss it? He was so common to these people that they had no basis to say we'll commit ourselves to him. He's too common. He's too ordinary of a person. And behind their questions, actually a lot of resentment. Who does he think he is? I know this kid. Who does he think he is going around preaching? Who does he think he is that he's got this power to heal people, tell people to follow him? Behind their questions is a, a lot of resentment. How can someone so ordinary that we know begin to do some extraordinary things. It's, it's just too good to be true. There was a great uh, verse in John chapter 1, verse 46, and um, his name is Nathaniel, and he asks a question, and this is the question. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see, Philip said. Philip was inviting Nathaniel to come and see Jesus of Nazareth, and Nathaniel's like, Seriously, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's almost like the people in Nazareth had this mindset. We're from Nazareth. There is no possible way that anything good can come from here. So who is this guy? This power, these teachings. Well, they couldn't explain him, so they were absolutely offended by him. As I was thinking about the questions they were asking of Jesus, I started to think, what are the questions that I'm asking of Jesus? What kind of questions am I asking right now? And I hope you haven't run out of questions for Jesus. But as you think about some of the questions that you are asking, some of the things you're wondering about Jesus, what are they? We spent two weeks, last two weeks, asking one question, Jesus, do you care? Does God care? What kind of questions are you wrestling with? What kind of questions are you asking right now? could just be simply, Jesus, are you even real? Do you exist? Are you some just dead prophet who did some great things? What kind of questions are you asking? And I know school teachers say there's just, there's no dumb questions. And there are sometimes some just really dumb questions. And so I want to ask you, are you asking the right questions? These People, the questions that the folks in Nazareth were asking, they were so preoccupied with where did Jesus, this carpenter, this common, this ordinary man, where did he get all of these powers? Where did he get and accumulate this wisdom? They were so preoccupied with where did he get all of these things that they failed to ask the crucial question. And do you know what the crucial question ultimately is for them, for us? What does this all mean? What does all of this mean? They should have taken their amazement and said, what does this mean? Questions that they needed to ask, that we need to ask. What should I do in response to what Jesus has said? What should I do in response to what Jesus has said? 
Or this, how then shall I live my life in light of who Jesus is, what he accomplished, what he's currently doing, what he said? In light of these things, the person of Jesus, how should I be living my life? What should be my response to the person of Jesus? That's a good question. Asking where did he get these things, it's a question, but it's not the question. I want us, you, to wrestle with how am I supposed to respond to the person, the work, the life of Jesus? This is a Jewish uh, author, and I love this quote. He says this, Jesus Christ is to me the outstanding personality of all time, all history, both as the Son of God, as the Son of Man. Everything he ever said or did has value for us today, and that is something you can say of no other man, dead or alive. There is no easy middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or reject him. Because of Jesus, he changes everything. I cannot live my life in neutral. I cannot live in like the middle ground. I have to make a decision. Because of Jesus, how will I respond? And you might not like this. You might even be offended by this. This is why they were scandalized by him. You can receive him or you can reject him. But this is the thing. You have to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? What he said, what he did, what he accomplished. Jesus made very clear, and this is why so many people in today's culture get so offended by Jesus because he said offensive things. You want to have a relationship with God, Jesus says? I am the only way that that's possible. Not one of the ways. I am the only way that you can have a relationship with God. Jesus is the only one, he says, who can redeem people back to right relationship with God. There's not a few different options. Jesus is the only one who can redeem. Or Jesus is the only one who can rescue sinful humanity from the dominion of darkness, meaning hell. There's only one. That's offensive to people because we want options. I don't like Jesus. I'd rather work for it. I'd rather try to earn it. Or I like this prophet over here. Or I like what this religion has to say over here. Jesus says there's only one way. There's only one person who rescues us from the dominion of darkness, being hell. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can serve as the atonement, the atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. You can try to pay for it. It won't go well. Jesus says, I am the one who will pay and has paid uh, the sacrifice for sin. This is why people are offended by Jesus, because Jesus made it clear. It's just Jesus. Jesus alone. I've shared this little equation with you before. It's just Jesus plus absolutely nothing equals everything. He's accomplished it all. Have you chosen receiving or rejecting? The great line in Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, where Indy's about to make this choice, which is the cup. And the old man who's been living in the cave for 800 years, choose wisely. 
and some other guy comes in and goes for like the cup that looks awesome and he drinks it and he thinks he made the right choice and then all of his skin falls off. And then Indiana Jones learns from that choice and says, I'm going to go with the carpenter's cup. We have a choice to make. My encouragement, I would, my exhortation, my pleading as best I can is choose wisely. There are consequences if we do not choose wisely. And the wise choice is Jesus, to receive him. Because to reject him is to be separated from him, from God, from in eternity, in hell. I don't wish that on anybody. The people in his own hometown, they rejected him. I can't fathom that. The people who were closest to him were the ones who said, we are scandalized by you. We are offended by you. As far as I know, this was the last time that Jesus was in Nazareth. His last visit in his hometown before he went to the cross. And the people in his own hometown rejected him. There was other consequences. I'll finish with this. Mark 6, 4 through 6 says, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. It's mind-blowing to me that Jesus could be in his own hometown amongst with his mom, his brothers, his sisters, people that grew up with Jesus and have no sense of honor there. No sense of reception there. And that's why Jesus quotes a very ancient proverb. The prophet is without honor in his own hometown. People of Nazareth missed it. They rejected. And I've wondered why. This is as best as I have. People of Nazareth identified Jesus with themselves. When they saw Jesus, they were like, we just can't get over. He's one of us. He's just one of us. Jesus is not one of us. I want you to know that. Jesus is not just another guy. He is fully man and fully God. This is why Jesus is the answer to man's greatest need. He is the solution to man's greatest need. Because he is fully God and fully man, he is the only one who can make us right, make man, make humanity right with God. The people just saw an insignificant carpenter. They compared Jesus to themselves and said, this just can't be. He's too common for us to commit to him. The other thing I want you to, Mark says that Jesus could not do any miracles there. I don't know what Spider-Man it was, but it was like one or two or three. There's only three of them. So it's one of those where like Spidey loses his juices. He's like, my arm's not working anymore. Like he's trying to shoot stuff out and it's just not happening. I don't want you to think this is what happened to Jesus. Like he was like touching out to people. He's like, my power has somehow left me. Like my arm, my spidey webs are just not working. 
There was a reason that Jesus could not do miracles in his own hometown. Because the people's hearts were just hard. Filled with just unbelief. But it says there were a few people who came to Jesus and he laid hands on them and he healed them. Last thing I finish with is Jesus' statement. He was amazed. He was absolutely amazed at their lack of faith. There's only one other time in the Gospels where it records that Jesus was amazed by something. There's a Roman centurion who came to Jesus and said, I have a servant. He's not doing well. The servant comes to Jesus and just says, just say the word. Like, you don't even need to come. You don't even need to put your hands on him. Just say the word and he'd be healed. And in Luke chapter 7, I think it's verse 9, Jesus looked at this Roman centurion and was amazed and said, I've never seen such great faith as this. There's two ends of the spectrum here. There are people that amazed Jesus with their lack of faith, and there were people, a person, who amazed Jesus with their level of faith. Tonight, familiarity breeds contempt. Have you become so familiar with Jesus that your faith, what you know, is just not even making a difference in how you live? As I started out, my heart, my hope, is that what you know of Jesus, your faith would begin to go to a place where Jesus would look at your faith and say, amazing! And look at his son or his daughter over here and say, look at this person! I've never seen faith like them! We can create versions of who Jesus is. Or you can wrestle with a Jesus that we are being introduced to again and again in the story in the Gospel of Mark. If you become so familiar with Jesus, I'm wondering what Jesus you're actually becoming so familiar with. That it's, it's breeding contempt or maybe it's just breeding just something where indifference Tonight, as we would finish, uh, we're going to do a lot of worship. We're going to celebrate communion. I want you to wrestle with the question, do I know the Jesus of the Bible? Not my version of him, but Jesus as presented to us in the scriptures. Because this Jesus that went to his hometown, engaged his people, his hometown, they rejected him. Jesus moved on from that town. He let them make their choice. But to the people who received Jesus, what they knew of Jesus, what they understood of Jesus, led them to a place of faith. Not just familiar with Jesus, but it was a faith that transformed. Father God, tonight I just uh, pray as we would have these next moments of worship. God, I just believe that anytime we open up your scriptures, it speaks to human hearts and minds. And God, that you are reaching out to each of us. God, I pray that tonight, as we would finish our time, 
that we would respond to the very thing that you have engaged us with. Father, if there's people here tonight who have made decisions to trust Jesus as the Son of God, Messiah, Savior, God, I pray their faith tonight will just be awakened so much so that you would look at our faith in this place and as we would go from this place and say, amazing, amazing. Jesus, if there's anyone here tonight who has not made a decision to receive you, the Son of God, the one who makes us right with you, with, with you, God, the one who forgives sins, the one who saves us from an eternity separated from you in hell. God, let people tonight no longer reject you, but receive you. And stir in each person here a faith that would amaze. Pray that in Jesus' name. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.